Okay, so uh, welcome to the LNT chat show, and today I'm here with uh, Gary Fisher. Gary, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, Roger. So my name is Gary Fisher. So I am a member of the Educational Development and Quality Improvement Team at Lincoln College in Lincoln, and I teach on some of our higher education teacher training and teacher education qualifications. And today I think we're going to be talking about work-based assessment. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's correct. That's my understanding of things. Uh, okay, and and so it, uh, for anyone who perhaps uh, is sort of maybe involved in slightly more traditional uh, assessments, how how does that differ from from other forms of assessment? So the idea of work-based assessment is simply that you assess in a way that authentically reflects how that learner or how that student would function in the workplace, basically, and it's something that. So I teach in a further education institution. So we're primarily a um, trade and vocational skills um, organization. But I came from here in I came to here from a more traditional higher education background. So I did my doctorate and I was a lecturer in um, ancient history and classics and liberal arts over at the University of Nottingham. Um, and while there, ended up specializing quite a bit in kind of the scholarship of teaching and learning and in particular looking at um, digitally enhanced learning, technolog technologically enhanced learning. And so that's why I, um, I've completely gone off topic on your question just now, I'm afraid. Oh, no, 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 that's, that's fine. Yeah. I was actually thinking um, in, you were, you were teaching in ancient history or, or that was part of your doctorate? Um, I was teaching in ancient history. I was teaching Latin was the very first thing I taught. Ah. I began teaching beginners Latin and then I've ended up now I teach on some of our teacher education qualifications, specifically focusing on digitally enhanced learning. So I've gone from the oldest to the newest, possibly. So, I wish you could so your experience both as um, uh, a, a lecturer and a student at your previous institution, would that have been a lot more traditional? I mean, was that kind of, you know, really just writing essays or were you, did you experience other assessment formats while you were there? To an extent, we did try and engage with alternative assessment formats beyond the kind of traditional essay dissertation style thing. But to be honest, it was mostly essay based. A lot of our more kind of practical based assessments, it was kind of it's very difficult to practically assess someone's ability as a classics student, as a yes. possibly the least vocational qualification out there. Um, so there were elements of um, alternative assessment methods based around, you know, creating a create a diagram of what a Roman oven might have looked like, etc. Right. But by uh, okay. and large, it was the more kind of traditional essay based. I've, I've worked with um, guy teach on the uh, PG CAP and, and before that it was the, the PG CERT and therefore had to work with, with people who, who came from very practical backgrounds. So um, people like physiotherapists, but then also with people who were um, actually, I think I've, I've worked with people who've taught history before and, and English. And one of their big things was that um, you know, they had come from a very traditional background, as uh, I mentioned before the, the recording started, that um, my first degree is in English. And so there was that sense in which, well, an essay is a very practical and standard approach to thing, and most people will understand what that is. But they were still looking for more interesting ways of assessment in order to actually help engage the students. So I've worked with colleagues before who had thought about um, things like somebody having to create a two-minute video, or uh, you mentioned when we, when we were talking about having to mark blogs, but you know, 
dogs might be a, an interesting way of expressing it. So it's just um, a, a, a slightly different way of expressing something. It might largely contain the same content. Um, yeah. So, so how did you move from that kind of quite traditional or more traditional background then to to this position where your focus is on work based uh, assessment? So, I mean, in in very practical terms, I um, completed my teaching contract at around March 2020, when a certain global pandemic very much changed the um, <laughs> higher education landscape. And that was around the same time I had birth of my first child and had bought a house. Oh, so congratulations. Very, very, very swiftly and forcefully thrown into a new chapter of my life. Um, and one of the things that put me in a position to be was that my very swiftly, my most marketable skill became the digital learning and remote learning specialization. And so that ended up leading me into this role within the further education sector where I simply saw the role being advertised and thought I've got the skill set for it, I could give it a go. I've never been a teacher educator before but I seem to meet all the essential and desirable criteria. Um, so I put myself in for it and then here I am today. Um, but in terms of adapting from that very much liberal arts humanities tradition into work-based learning it was a big a big shock for me because I think kind of just walking around a further educational institution which teaches trade and vocational skills. The individuals who work in this sector are phenomenal at work-based learning. They do it without thinking about it. So mm. you walk around to some of our, you know, computing um, students. The assignments and the assessments and the activities they're given are all grounded in a work-based style environment. So you won't ask them to you know, if, they, if they're learning how to code Python or HTML or whatever, they're not just given a task, they're given it in the format of here's what an employer would ask you to do. You work at a software company and your supervisor has asked you to troubleshoot this line of code or whatever it would be for that subject. It's the same for all the subjects we teach across here. Without thinking, they do work-based learning, um, work-based assessments. Everything is grounded in assessing the authentic capacity of that student to fulfill that task within a work-based environment. Um, and the thing that really shocked me is when I was here talking about this, I'm like, wow, this is really impressive what you're doing. No one, no one better than I lives. Like, well, of course we're doing that. This is what we do. Yes. Um, and so it's quite interesting because the teacher education qualifications we offer are higher education qualifications. So they are externally accredited by a range of different universities. Um, and it's quite interesting, this phenomenon of higher education within further education because there's this sense that right we're teaching further education now we're going up a level we're teaching a level four or a level five or a level six kind of you know PGC or whatever that particular yeah. qualification is ergo we should then move away from our traditional way of educating and try and imitate what we think a university style education looks like um, and so that ends up with a situation where you have educators who have spent their whole career being phenomenal at doing work-based learning and assessing students based on their capacity to fulfill something within an authentic work-based environment, suddenly then starting to mark, set and mark essays for the first time in their life because that's what they expect a higher education qualification to look like, really. Um, so when it comes to the the, uh, the learning groups that you're dealing with then, these these are people who are training to be is it classroom teachers or they're training for uh, higher education teaching um they're training to be classroom teachers primarily within the further education sector so right okay so so quite often okay. we have extra oh god sorry roger 
No, I was just going to say, so when you took over um, or, or when you started, were assessments already in place that you felt, you know, were particularly strong or did, did you have to did you have to change them or did you actually introduce something that was, you know, quite different to what had been there before? So since joining, I've become the programme convener for our level four qualification in digital learning design. So this is a teacher education qualification which focuses specifically on the role of digital technology in education from you know all sectors basically. It's not specifically higher education, but it's relevant to that. It's not specifically further education, but it would be relevant to a practitioner within that sector. Um, currently the bulk of our learners on that program are people who are currently employed within further education. They've usually got some form of foundational teacher training qualification, but they want to specialize in um, digitally enhanced learning, technology enhanced learning, remote learning, or something within the remit of digital technology in education, really. And what kind of um, digital technologies are we, are we talking about? Because clearly, you know, you've already alluded to the fact that uh, we've had a crazy last two years, and I'm sure many people like myself uh, ended up doing remote teaching and, and now hybrid teaching. So we very rapidly had to learn to use things like, I don't know, Padlet and Kahoot. Is it that kind of thing or, or are there more kind specialist of, yeah, things? Yeah, so it's, um, this is fast, okay, then. there's elements of virtual learning environments are a big focus. So things like, you know, Canvas, Moodle, Blackboard, Google Classrooms, every institution has their own, their own equivalent, but then also teaching effectively remotely via video conferencing software, such as Microsoft Teams. It's mostly kind of, it's not specifically software-led or hardware-led or, you know, we don't have a model on how to use VR. It's about those learning principles and those learning design principles and then how you can apply those within different contexts, being blended, remote, hybrid, whatever situation you might find yourself in. The idea being that those educators then become people who can effectively use any form of technology yeah. today and tomorrow in education regardless of what context they're teaching in. So if I was to actually put you on the spot now which I, I appreciate is probably not unfair and if, if or not fair rather and if you want to move on that's fine. Um, do you have any specific tips for, for people because you know certainly for people like me it's been a very steep learning curve and you know we delivered it, reflected on it, learned some stuff from it but because we've now gone back into the classroom, we really didn't have the opportunity to kind of push that forward and always felt, or certainly for the first six, nine months, felt that I was missing something, you know, that, that I needed somebody to come along and go, ah, well, you know, here are, here are three things that, you know, would really help you if you're, if you're thinking about using technology in terms of learning. So, so tips in terms of using tech and learning, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think that the one, the one thing I always say to people is that remember that technology is a tool to achieve a learning goal. It's put the learning objective first. The technology is the route to, to getting there. So I always think, you know, any piece of technology in education should fulfill one, ideally two of two different functions. Number one, does it make the educator's life easier? Number two, does it make the student learn better? If it's not doing one or two of those things, you have to ask yourself, why am I using it? Yeah. So, you know, quite often we get very entranced by nice, you know, virtual reality and those sorts of things because they're very sexy and swish and look good on a prospectus. Um, Again, it's going back to those two questions. I always say if you can, you know, I focus on virtual learning environment design and people often get quite bogged down in the various different features you can do, but you can set these quizzes, you can set these discussion forums and so forth. And yeah. I say, it doesn't matter how much you can do. If you can do one or two things well, you can use it well as an effective teaching tool. Okay. It's not about technical capacity. It's not about knowing what every button does. 
It's about you knowing <laughs> what a certain number of buttons do thank, and being able to use fine. them well. Yeah. I, I, okay. Well, I, I think that was probably one of one of uh, one of my sort of concerns was that actually I didn't know what every button did. Just out of interest, do you have a a, a favourite uh, platform? I've been I've been using something called um, Topia, um, which is a, a kind of meeting place uh, platform. It's it's free. It's very easy to use. It looks quite cute, um, and it's a great place to kind of call people together and then get them working separately in teams, but not in separate rooms, which was always the, the thing I found most clunky about. We were using Collaborate and since when uh, we've been using Teams and that idea of sort of people almost physically just not being visible, let alone uh, contactable or contactable easy, I found really problematic. You know, if you've got a classroom and you've got students working in groups and you can physically see them and you can move around much more easily and, and interact with them and, you know, they can sort of you know, get your attention as well. And that that was something which wasn't easy at all. And I I found uh, through one of the conferences that I went to this this platform, which I've used a couple of times since. Do you do you have uh, any technologies that you particularly enjoy or think particularly useful? Again, so I try to I try to avoid developing an attachment to a particular individual technology or piece of software because again, I try and be I try. I, the temptation is to do that, but I do try and maintain the focus on what am I trying to achieve and then putting the technology secondary to that almost. That's the means to the end. So I talk about this with virtual learning environments because um, at my current college, we recently changed from Canvas to Moodle, like Moodle to Canvas even. And right. people talk about this as if it's a big change because you've gone from two different companies. And yeah, they look different. They feel a bit different. But the analogy I always use is it's the same spanner. It just has a different handle. It's yeah. the same tool. It does the same thing. It just feels slightly different when you're doing it. Um, and so I think that is that's my attitude to most pieces of technology. You know, whether it's Teams or Zoom, which one do you prefer? Well, they do the same thing, really. They just have a different logo. Um, yeah. They have a few different features, but functionally, it's a way in which I can look at someone's face when they're in a different part of the world to me. Um, and so yeah, again, I try to avoid wedding myself too heavily to a single piece of software or hardware just because I don't necessarily see the value in placing that as my goal. Well, speaking of, as a member of the older generation, I guess part of my problem is that I'm less keen on change and technology obviously is rife with with change. So it always it always pains me slightly when I, I don't know, even, even when um, Microsoft Office updates and all of a sudden the buttons that I had been using have all disappeared or moved about or you know been hidden um, until your cursor goes somewhere near them. And I, I spent a lot of time being very angry and bitter uh, about about things like that. Okay, so I'll, I'll drag it back then to the the work-based assessment in terms of the classroom then in, uh, and the the things that you're doing there. What what kinds of work-based uh, um, assessments are you using? Well, so, you, so there's there's two components to that. There's the in the classroom, and then there's the work-based assessment. So, I'll start with the work-based assessment side of things. So, we mentioned that um, within a lot of teacher training qualifications or teacher education qualifications, further education lecturers who will ordinarily spend their entire career using very much work-entrenched, work-based assignments and assessments. You know, they will ask you to, as I say, you know, if, you, if they teach computing, they'll frame it as a professional problem rather than an academic problem. When you place them in a higher education teacher training classroom, they then start giving essays and all that. Um, and so essentially I kind of sat back and I thought, well, 
I want to emulate the strengths of this sector I've just come into. I have an outside perspective. I think actually there was some really great work being done here, which the people aren't quite conscious of that they're strong at. I think there's this sense of hierarchy where higher education is higher than further education. So when they perceive themselves as going up from teaching in further to teaching in higher, they try and abandon what, throw away what, they, what they're good at without realising it to try and copy what they perceive to be um, more advanced practice. And so what I thought about was, well, how do we assess teaching in the same way that we, that maximises these strengths of workplace mm. learning? So I thought, well, what does, you know, if, if you're, if you've got a computing qualification that's framed as a professional problem, why not frame the teacher education qualification or teacher education assignment as a professional problem? So what I asked them to do is I asked them to design a lesson plan and deliver it. And that is the assessment. So the assessment is we've delivered, talked about, you know, this formative assessment skill. We've talked about this summative assessment skill. We've talked about how you can use this teaching technique or whatever it would be rather than writing an essay or rather than doing something, you know, which is kind of distinct from that. I want you to actually go away, generate an activity implement it and then I want you to come back and reflect on it and then not just reflect on it but then actually implement that reflection so I want right. the, the, the assignment is they would design an activity they produce a lesson plan they would then teach that lesson plan and then what they would submit to me as part of the assignment is their analysis of how it went what went well what went, what didn't go so well but then also what they're going to do next time and then we have a follow-up where we investigate what they did next time yeah, and so we try and bake it, base it very much on emulating what it is like to be a professional educator. I.e., you go into a classroom, you teach, some things do work, some things don't work. You then sit back for twenty minutes afterwards, think about what worked, and then de develop as an educator as a result of it. Basically, okay. Um, the, the people that you're teaching are, are they are they is the course part time or is it blocked with with blocks in schools? It is either part-time or full-time, but they are all in work. So they are all right. presently employed as educators, which right. is really a real strength, because then that goes to what we were, the second part of what you said, we said um, classroom techniques for work-based assignments, that word classroom. So I was again thinking about, well, what is this institution really, really strong at? Yes, we're really great at work-based assignments, but then actually, the physical learning environments are designed to emulate those work-based environments. Yeah. So yeah. the hairdressing section, they teach in a salon. They have a little mock-up salon over in the automotive school where they're teaching automotive engineering and mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. It's framed as an engineering workshop within a professional environment. And so that again got me thinking about, so what is the professional environment for a teacher? It's a staff room. Yeah. So they will then come into a staff room. So what we've done is we've tried to rearrange our classroom, not as a classroom, but as a staff room. We try to avoid that from the front. Me as a lecturer, you know, here's the PowerPoint, here's our learning objectives yeah, for this yeah. session. We instead frame it as kind of a, a structured discussion you would have in a staff room. And when we do have those structured working sessions where they have an hour or two to get on with work, we frame it in the same way. We try and do everything we can to simulate what it's like to work in a in their own actual staff rooms. So I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I can now tell you the how everyone in my um, current learning cohort has their tea and has their coffee and what their, <laughs> what their cost or order is because again I try and act like you know what would a fellow teacher be like in this situation yeah go away get them their tea get them their coffee I know that so-and-so has a latte and that so-and-so doesn't drink whole milk or only has almond milk or so forth and so that's another element of trying to trying to recreate trying to 
capitalize on what this sector is really strong at when it comes to work-based learning because quite often when a further education lecturer goes into teaching a higher education application they try and act like what they perceive a university lecture will act like yeah standing at the front talking off some slides maybe set some seminar style activities and that's great learning obviously but we've got such a strong pool of skills for work-based learning and creating that learning environment that simulates the workplace and I think the fact actually that are coming in during their working day into a classroom or into this case what we call it a staff room really strengthens that vibe because I think quite often you know if you're teaching someone who's got if you've got someone who's got a full teaching timetable they're teaching you know 20 hours or whatever it is a week of in front of a class it can be a real difficulty to get them to switch off and go into right now I'm going to study mode I'm now going to sit and I'm going to learn and I'm going to practice my essay, etc. And I think in many ways that's actually, is that the goal? Is that something we want want to achieve? Do we want there to be a strict separation from right now? You've finished your teaching practice, you've finished your professional world, now you're into um, learning mode. I don't think we do actually. I think what we want to do is emphasise the fact that the two are connected. Mm. We want what they're learning to be part of their professional practice just as we want their professional practice to be a part of what they're learning. So again, I, 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 a lot of lecturers will have a rule of when they're teaching teacher education, no talking about marking or deadlines or this or that and the other while you're in the teacher education classroom because we want to focus on this. I have the opposite rule. I completely encourage them to check their emails while they're in class with me because I want this to feel a part of um, yeah. a part of their professional practice. And in fact, that was a real barrier for me actually because I didn't consciously choose to do that. Um, it was during one of my one of our kind of workshop sessions where they were designing a lesson plan that was themed around um, a piece of 21st century technology. Um, and I noticed one of my learners, two of my two of my learners actually, they were checking their emails and they were chatting with each other about what's looked from the outside perspective of me not in that conversation as something unrelated to it because they were just looking at their emails and looking at some bits and bobs. I assume you know, they were in the same teaching department, so I assume they'd got an email from there head of the department or something. So yeah. I just popped over as you do as a seminar leader, just to, hey guys, how are we doing? What are we working on, et cetera? And of course they were looking at some of their um, statistics from their working environment and then using that to inform the work they were currently on. So it was actually, I'd step back, it's like, well, actually, you know, being willing to take that hand off, they take those hands off, trust them to want to develop and trust them to want to learn and kind of trust them to appropriately introduce their professional environment into their learning environment and vice versa basically mm. um, if that makes sense yeah yeah ab absolutely um, um long-term believer that uh, uh if we could get well the students that i teach business students actually more involved in business not just in terms of doing things like uh, placement years or um some of them or in fact actually quite a few of them have some kind of part-time work um but that it could be integrated into the program itself when i was at school um, I took part in the uh, Young Enterprise Scheme, and it, it's only a, you know it's a few hours, one night a week for uh, kind of uh, half a year. But that sense of and or not understanding, but being part of something which is a different environment, but understanding that what you're learning needs to be you know transferred to that environment, I think can be very valuable. And I think you're right also that there's a mindset I suspect from the students as well of this is learning this is doing and, and really those two things do need to be brought together because otherwise 
you know, you're sending people into the workplace. You don't necessarily know how those things need to be transferred. And from certainly from an employer's point of view, you know, employers are, are the employers that you know my students are involved with are very keen on the idea of, of students having some concept of what is expected from them in the workplace, as opposed to just that, well, I'm very good at, you know, writing essays or writing reports from a, a, a sort of solely theoretical perspective. So thinking about next year, do you have plans to, to change anything? Is there anything you're refining? Is there anything you're looking to introduce? Um, any differences? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a few kind of things we're um, considering at the moment. So we've been marking, I think I mentioned that we've been asking our learners to create a lesson plan, implement it, evaluate it, reflect on it and so forth. Um, and it's quite interesting because quite often, as I say, we're teaching people who come from the further education sector. Many of them are people from trade backgrounds. So bricklayers, hairdressers, engineer, automotive engineers, etc, etc. Um, and one thing I've been finding is that the individuals who are the most most eloquent in the classroom in terms of being able to articulate these concepts, these things that they're implementing, you know, these theories, etc. Um, you put them in front of a pen and paper, suddenly they freeze up and they can't express things. Mm. So even though it is framed as a work-based assessment, they can do the work-based side of things, but the fact that there is a prose written component still is quite a barrier to them. And so this is something I'm currently just thinking about and that we're discussing as a delivery team is um, how do we tackle that? Do we go through the route of, well, written English is a barrier to a lot of these guys or these people as well. Um, do we get rid of the written component and introduce a kind of professional discussion or video log or some kind of oral element to it to try and make that more accessible for them? Or that we take the attitude that written expression is part of what we want them to be developing. Ergo, even though it's not comfortable for them, this is still actually a part of being an educator because being yeah. an educator involves giving written feedback and providing written evaluations and all this sort of thing. So that's something we're currently mulling over at the moment. Um, and so, I'm, I mean, I'm not really sure. So with your business students as well, is that something you find with the written component compared to, you know, do you find there's a gap between those who can express things very well verbally? Well, we have a lot of international students. We have a lot of students with um, particular learning needs, um, dyslexic students, some students with things like speech impairments or anxiety. Um, and so we have, I guess, like most uh, universities, you look at um, a kind of mixed uh, system of of assessment in order to try and give as many different opportunities to assess, uh, to students as possible. One of the things I'm quite keen on is the idea of actually providing students with choice in individuals individual yeah in individual assessment so that um, uh, for example in one of the modules that I teach there are two options for um, the first assessment. In another one I teach on there's actually three different options. Um, for the first assessment and there are variations on the theme but in the, in the case of one the choice is between writing um, an individual report and actually participating in a an international group activity um, that that deals with a, a live project um, and I do think that some students are much better at articulating um, in a verbal form and I do wonder sometimes then whether or not it would be better to ask them so we, we uh, in the module that or one of the modules that I'm marking at the moment, they start with um, 
a group report, but they author individual sections of it. And the second thing that they have to do, and during the year, we ask them to produce some blogs. Um, and uh, well, in fact, actually, they are, no, podcasts, sorry. I was just thinking they are verbal um, to make these uh, audio recordings. And one of the reasons why we do that, because they're not assessed, is to give them the experience of having to think about what they want to say and then articulate it verbally as opposed to having to write it down. Because the second assessment is a set of narrated PowerPoint slides. So we ask them to produce it's a very, very limited number of slides. And, and we explain to them that, you know, that information should be largely visual. And then we just want you to talk about it. And the thing is, you'll do it without an audience. So you don't have that kind of, you know, nervous anxiety. And also, if, if you do make a mistake, then you can just re-record that bit. And they record something for each of the slides. So the idea is for them to concentrate on thinking about what they want to say, rather than, as you say, you know, not I'm decrying the ability to to write a you know a formal report um, because it's a very important uh, faculty for them to to have. But I do think you're you're right that in a lot of other instances, actually, you know, conversations and and discussions and decisions will be made verbally. And although you can support that with um, with written evidence, I do think it's important for them to. Um, to find their own voice or, or uh, feel confident in their own voice. So th that's kind of the thing that, that we're looking at. I don't know if that is the kind yeah. of thing. that. No, definitely. And I, I think as well, you're right as well in terms of, in your case with business students, a lot of the decision-making will be done verbally and orally and those decisions will be done in conversation. And I think as well, even if you are going to take the stance that developing their written English is important, there are flavours of written English. There's the kind of written English you would use in a report. There's the kind of written English you would use in an email. And there's the kind of written English you would use in a essay, evaluative statement, reflective statement, etc. So I do wonder kind of whether that's something we want to explore in the future is actually tailoring the format of that English expression if we are going to stick for written format. Because we've asked them to produce this as a kind of, you know, evaluative, reflective statement. I wonder if you could even take that and make that even more work based and try and turn it into, you know, publish a report to your head of the department about how does this went and what's going to happen next or something mm. along those lines. Or, you know, I, I, I'm not sure it would be meaty enough if we were to ask them to write an email summarising what happened, but it's just something in that realm of can we make the written English more accessible and more applicable to their working environment as well as the actual assessment task itself? Um, yeah. Well, so one of the things that I've encountered uh, a few times now over about a 10 year period is the idea of giving um, audio um, audio feedback. Um, so recording a, just, you know, you're talking uh, through the feedback rather than giving written feedback. Um, and uh, one of the previous podcasts actually was about uh, audio feedback. And I have finally made the decision after many, many years of, of contemplating it that uh, the fairest way for me to introduce it, I'm quite lucky the, the one module that I have that I'm able to test sort of things out on is a relatively small module. I'm actually going to give the students the choice. So they'll have a little tick box on their assessment that says, I wish to receive my feedback either you know, in audio format or written format so that they are choosing which to do. Um, but then to actually get some, uh, some sort of qualitative feedback from them on whether or not it made a difference to them because the, the anecdotal evidence, and, and I believe there is some um, empirical evidence as well is that actually students do respond a lot better um, to audio feedback. It feels more personalised, it, it feels more insightful. So I'm just wondering whether actually 
reversing that and giving them the opportunity, you know, for one or two assessments to be able to present something in a verbal format, uh, but maybe not in a, you know, I, I think there is a, a an extra degree of um, pressure on them if you do that with uh, a, a, an audience, say. But that's certainly one of the things that I'd be uh, yeah, thinking about. interesting. Because again, so I, I have had, I've seen some audio feedback being used here in interesting ways. So I think I completely agree with you. Audio feedback has a lot of potential to be a lot more personal and kind of make that connection between this is the feedback someone has provided me and actually their practice. It feels more personal. It actually activates that part of the brain that wants to wants to improve. Um, but it's quite interesting going back to the work-based learning. I, I've seen it being used in kind of the professional qualifications in some instances where you have to demonstrate a competency, where yeah. they're interested in can you demonstrate competency 1.2 or you know, can you show competency P7? Or you know, these 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 sorts of things where it's jargon that makes sense within the context of that particular qualification. And yeah. it's quite interesting because the different ways that students act on feedback. So I've seen it being used in qualifications which are either an assignment is either pass fail. You have or you haven't demonstrated all of these qualities we want you to do. We want you to go back and resubmit it. Yeah. Having acted on that, a lot of the students preferred the written feedback because they were going to be acting accessing it and using that purely because they had to to pass the qualification it wasn't a well then you've got 65 or well then you've got 72 yeah. or whatever yeah. but the next assignment is how you can improve it so this particular assignment hasn't met the criteria resubmit it within two weeks and they found it quite difficult because on the one hand yeah it was more personal and more accessible but they just wanted to read what needed to be done and then implement it so they kind of wanted the more written directive because then they could have you know two windows open look at the feedback look at the essay and transfer it over kind of thing. So I, I suppose this, this is part of that larger argument about, you know, whether feedback is actually feedback or is always intended, you know, to be feed forward. Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, uh, we are close to being run out of uh, of time and uh, the room I'm in is going to be occupied by somebody else playing a musical instrument very shortly. So uh, I, I, I will call it a, a day there, but it's been absolutely fascinating. And assessment is one of those things that I think you know we probably could have talked for an hour or two more uh perhaps uh you know you'll come back again at some point and we can talk about other things that have changed for you thank you so much for your time today um that's been absolutely wonderful no thank you for having me roger it's been an absolute pleasure you're welcome really enjoyed talking to you